Welcome to STEMiverse Podcast Episode 31. In this episode, Peter and Marcus talk with Joy Suleiman. Joy is the Learning Space Coordinator at Library Services for the City of Canada Bay, one of Sydney's most multicultural suburbs. Joy brings together her diverse experience in learning, technology, workshop facilitation, research, professional development training, regional outreach and community engagement in her role with City of Canada Bay Libraries. She leads a multidisciplinary team that works alongside the community at the learning space, the Connection Roads, providing access to online resources and a wide range of programs focusing on digital and emerging technology such as 3D printing, augmented reality, robots and electronic making. In her previous roles as the digital media facilitator for Save the Children New South Wales, as senior fellow at Queensland University of Technology, and before that, ThinkSpace manager at the Powerhouse Museum, Joy has researched, developed and implemented innovative STEAM workshop programs and resources for community, school groups, teachers and cultural organisation professionals. She's also worked at the University of Western Sydney, Arab Council Australia, ABC Local Radio, and the University of Wollongong. This is Demiverse Podcast Episode 31. Welcome to Stemiverse, the podcast that helps educators become awesome at teaching STEM, be it at home or in the classroom. I am Peter Dalmaris, and with my co-host, Marcus Sharpie, our mission is to bring you the experiences of educators, students, and stakeholders who strive every day to make the teaching and learning of science, technology, engineering, mathematics, and art better. This podcast is brought to you by Tech Explorations, a leading provider of educational resources for makers, STEM students, and teachers. For a limited time only, go to texplore.com slash stemiverse and receive Peter's latest ebook, Maker Education Revolution, a book about how making is changing the way that people learn and teach in the 21st century. Hey, Marcus. Hey, Peter. Welcome back. Thank you. It's and nice welcome back. 2018. Yes, yes. I can't believe it's already 2018. Just makes you feel older each year, doesn't it? Oh, man. It's just accelerated. Uh, time is just um, going faster and faster every year. Um, did you have any holidays? I did last week. I went to uh, Brisbane, and Brisbane. all the Gold Coast, actually. Took the family up there by the beach. It was nice. Pretended not to work. It was fantastic. It's like a pilgrimage to... Well, the in-laws, extended family and what have you. Yep. You go up there and you go, you have to put your watch back an hour and 50 years, right? Yeah. It's like you travel to a different place when I go to Brisbane. Yeah. It's uh, actually... In a good way. I mean, (laughs) right. I like it. They're actually quite ahead of us when it comes to the STEM side of things as yeah. well. It's quite... Did you read any books? Amazing. Did I read any books? Uh, no, I just did writing, actually, the other way around. Did you code? I, yeah, did a little bit did of code you, as well. Did you yeah. do Ruby stuff? I did Ruby stuff, yeah. yes. Yeah. I love it. it. That's a way to have a holiday, I think. Yes. Everybody's listening. Did a lot of automation. What did you do? Well, I actually did quite a bit of work, but I also did a bit of reading. Uh, I, I caught up with all my new scientist magazines. <laughs> okay, brilliant. 
Leo, who is my oldest son, likes to read, actually likes me to read him articles from the New Scientist. Mm -hmm. Did you know there are birds that actually use fire like humans? Yeah, the hawks up in the Northern Territory. Exactly, yeah. Like they, they look for twigs that are lit up and they use them to flush out the next victim or meal. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I found so it quite amazing. It's like, uh, you know, the definition of intelligence of being able to use a tool and what yeah. makes us separate as humans is rapidly they going away. They actually, they can teach. Yeah, oh, yeah, the, the they taught the offspring, yeah. yeah. So that, I, I thought that, that was quite interesting, like that, that education thing is not, it seems like it's not just centered oh, around humans. Swinging around. Yes, see, this is a problem. That's how we get into <laughs> education. Hey, um, well, I think we should say hi to Joy. Yes. <laughs> Who is Joy? Hey, Joy. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> uh, thank you for having me. Sorry, we kept you waiting. We just get excited about a few things. Yes. Oh, well, no. Uh, I really <laughs> am into that story of the birds that make fire also. No, I shared that article that. with you. I just remembered to send send it over. I, it was uh, very interesting. I heard about them on the radio the other day, and <laughs> I was like, yeah, right. You know, um, <laughs> That's not a myth. It's not like a you know a mythological story or something like that. It's actually a real thing. Birds that make fire. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to formally uh, welcome you. So Joy Suleiman, uh, and uh, you're actually the first guest of Stemiverse for the year. So double welcome. Yes, welcome. <laughs> Could you take a few minutes and tell us about you and uh, uh, a few you know a few points in your life that eventually brought you to where you're now. Uh -huh. Well, um, yeah, my name's Joy Suleiman. I'm the Learning Space Coordinator for City of Canada Bay Libraries here in Sydney. And the Learning Space is one of Sydney's newest library services, uh, and we're in Rhodes. And I guess the reason why we're not called the Rhodes Library is because it's a little bit problematic. We don't have any physical books or any physical collections here. So the drive here is around engaging our community. And one of the main ways we do that is programs that use emerging and digital technologies. Mm -hmm. So we run a lot of stuff for the community in 3D printing, coding, robotics. Um, we have a digital gallery which exhibits um, contemporary video artwork. Um, we often do demonstrations in AR and VR. And it's not just about like the consumer side of those um, products, but it's also about developing the community's uh, literacies and understandings and giving them um, giving them ways to be creative and creatively engaged with the tools of production. Wow, I'd like to explore that a little bit more, but before that, can you tell us a bit about your background? Are you a teacher uh, no, I'm in not training? That. I don't really have, um, if I if I said that I originally trained as an artist, I think that yeah. kind of gives you an idea of, you know, the, the kind of, it's the creative and community engagement yeah. impulse that, that kind of rules my career progression. Um, but tell us about your art. I, well, I don't make any anymore, but I've been a youth worker um, mm -hmm. and I've worked in like um, disadvantaged and um, indigenous communities. Right. Um, I've worked at the Powerhouse Museum um, doing uh, web, web project management and um, outreach and training around digital technologies for people working in the collection sector. Um, I also worked in the ThinkSpace team there where I was the ThinkSpace manager. So that was like running running the Powerhouse Museum's digital programs for school students and for um, children and adults in the school holidays and that mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, and yeah, so for me, this has come about, um, I'm just really interest, interested in technology. And I mean, I guess as an, you know, all those years ago, my training was as a media artist. Correct. I went to university to study creative writing and then bumped into 
video and the early um, HTML and web stuff and kind of interactives and sound art and stuff and switched into that stream. So I've always been really interested in the creative potentials of technology, what they can do for us as people and communities and how we can use them to kind of, you know, shape our world and mm. communicate better with each other. Wow. So how um, how did that bring you to the Canada Bay Library? Because actually, can you tell us about what your role is in, in the library and how you say your past life connects to what you're doing now? Mm. Yeah, that's a great question. Thanks, Peter. Um, one I don't think about very often. <laughs> um, for me... Um, I guess everything, if you have a look, the, the through lines in my kind of work and career choices have always been around communities, people, technology, and ways that we can empower people with those. Um, City of Canada Bay was setting up this facility here and knew that the traditional approach that libraries take was something that they wanted to kind of um, transform and move away from and so they were looking for someone who had a different skill set and a different set of experience to kind of head that head that up for them and it was a, it's a really good fit for me because you know the very vague ideas that they had were like let's get a robot and maybe let's do 3d printing um, and I was bursting with ideas about, you know, I'd been working with um, Save the Children as a digital program manager, but also in my own business at that time, consulting in, with two libraries, schools and community organisations about how to do digital engagement with, you know, community. And, you know, and then I just thought, oh, hang on a second, you know, a building, a budget, a team, a fresh slate, a fantastic community to come and work in. It kind of sounded almost too good to be true and um but it wasn't it was it was real and i've been doing it now for two years and so that's been a really um a really excellent wow. experience so how did you go about setting up the space well i mean to a large extent the building it's part of uh um, the learning space here is part of city of canada bay's cultural precinct in roads called the connection so it's part of a larger project, but we do have a 700 square metre building and um, I've been lucky enough in that there's, uh, you know, a lot of the detail was thought out already in terms of things like black fibre internet and um, this building has like more PowerPoints than you can throw a stick at um, and that's mm -hmm. been really great and I've added even more because, wow. you know, that's the way that's it has to enough. be. There's never enough, especially in an environment where everyone's bringing their own device and also um, USB power as well as regular yeah. PowerPoints um, and good AV and smart building and kind of, do you know what I mean? Like, so the structure, the actual building was very well thought out, very well developed. I've got a lovely open space with a view over Homebush Bay where people can come and work and study and do that, you know, traditional use of the library as a space for their own mm. learning and 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 work and recreation. But then I've also got some really nice classroom and studio space within the building as well. Mm -hmm. And it was very much a blank canvas. So I started thinking about, well, I, I actually took the approach of what what is the community here? What programs can I use to engage them with themselves and with their own learning and with each other? And, um, and started to think through that. And then that kind of guided an approach to equipment and setup. So I guess my background is in community programs. And so I started with that and allowed that to dictate how we use the spaces. 
Um, so, you know, um, buying a very nice large 3D printer that's enclosed and that prints at a good quality for the bench that's out there in the open space that when you walk in the door, you see it right away. Yeah. And it's printing and those prints are on display. But then having other printers in a kind of more makerspace set up. And I wouldn't say we have a makerspace, but we have a lot of the elements of a makerspace, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And so yeah. having other 3D printers, having other tools, having other things for digital production like MacBooks and iPads and, you know, good quality cameras and sound recording equipment to do video and content production and so on. And so just thinking through what this, what kind of programs we wanted to run and what would be mm-hmm. the appropriate technologies to take those to the community. What differentiates you from a makerspace? Um, if you ask the library sector, they seem to imagine that I have a makerspace here. And mm-hmm. I guess we run programs that feel that are maker programs for sure. But um, for me, a true makerspace is a space that you can access at any, if you're a member of it, you can access it freely at any time and that it's actually kind of run by it's, that has that membership involvement. And we're not quite at that stage yet. And I would say that we are working towards it slowly. And some of our programs are starting to have that feel within the times that they operate. Mm-hmm. But that a true, but that as a true maker space where I can say to people, look, you have access to this space to use however you like, whenever you like, that I don't know... I don't know how far along the road we will get to that true definition of make in my mind, that definition of makerspace. And I guess for me, that comes out of my involvement um, over a couple of years with the Makers Place makerspace in Sydney mm-hmm. and being on the board of that and being an active member of that for, for several years that that has informed my understanding of that style of makerspace. And what are your hurdles to getting to that point, if you can ever get to that point? <laughs> Yeah, well, one of them is just actually being a public library. Um, Mm -hmm. The way you engage and interact with the public is quite mediated and you're expected to mediate to some extent. So, um, and that's part of it. Another thing is it's not kind of our, it's a part of our core business, but it's not our core business in a way, if that makes sense. It's a part of a bigger offering. It's not the only thing we do. So... And the other thing is just about understanding the community that I'm in here in Rhodes and what their mm-hmm. needs are and how to grow and learn alongside them. And I think they're driving that growth. They're actually driving our our development now. They're driving our program development through their through their interest and their feedback and what they bring into our programs. And the community is also driving kind of the directions we're heading at in the ways that we're engaging with them. So they still... For example, our 3D print club is one of those spaces that has that maker feel to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and Vincent, the staff member who, who's the full-time program officer here, who looks after that every week, he's the facilitator of that workshop weekly. He pulls back as much as he can, but that group likes that mediation likes that mm-hmm. facilitation that's still a very open space that they can bring their ideas and their projects to but a lot of people are coming into it as beginners and it's very comfortable for them to have you know a weekly object lesson that Vincent's prepared or um, you know to have his facilitation in pairing them up with someone or whatever so that's that kind of growth that I'm talking about but you know that work that group meets weekly on Monday nights at 6 30 and it's really a very diverse and lovely atmosphere to come and learn about CAD and 3D printing. 
So we're just riffing on that one. How did you guys start up the club and how did you actually reach the, I guess, the community and get them to become involved in the club? Yeah, um, so we, um, we were fortunate in that because we were part of this new community facility that was opening. Council did put quite a bit of resource towards promoting, you know, an open day and so on. We have a fabulous location, I would say unbeatable. We're on the ground floor, um, like, you know, and we've got these big open doors and windows and we're right in a very heavy pedestrian traffic area for a suburb that likes to walk and be on bikes and be out and about. So we attract, you know, so that that's the first kind of, you know, there's a bit of a honeypot factor going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but then once people are here... There's a community engagement strategy and approach which we implemented very, very early on from even before we came to this site, which was um, at Concord and Five Dock Libraries, we ran introduction to CAD workshops and I actually mm-hmm. had the 3D printer at, at Concord Library and ran, you know, um, public workshops, public talks, um, and we advertised that quite heavily and the printer was operating and I would walk out and talk to anyone who wanted to know about it at any time. Um, How did you advertise that? Like on Facebook or in printed media? Council newsletter? Council, I'll be honest with you. One of the real joys of or one of the real advantages of working in something like a public library is it's such an unbeatable brand with an audience that's already in place. And so if you can understand what they need, you can have quite good access. So, for example, our library e-news gets the best um, you know, it gets the best click-throughs of any kind of email publication that I've ever seen or wow. come across. Um, yeah, and we do also do some Facebook promotion and so on. But the other thing I have to say to you, um, Peter and Marcus, was our actual physical presence and talking to people in this space, mm-hmm. making sure that everyone who walks through the door understands and leaves with an invitation to one of our programs whether it's 3D print club or a multicultural story time for their children or whatever the case may be. So we always make sure we extend an invitation to every person who walks through the door and most adults would get an invitation to our 3D print club. So that's been really important to make it feel accessible and warm and something like if you've never seen a 3D printer before but you spend five minutes with us and you want to know more, here's how you can find out. Just a pleasure to do that it. is so cool. So I uh, just wonder, how did you get people to walk through? <laughs> I know it sounds like I'm tunneling, but you are quite unique in that you've got a, well, not a library with a, not a collection of books, yeah. not something that somebody a would traditionally books, right? go to. Yeah, a library without books. What, what was growing them into the facility? Well, I mean, firstly, a lot of the promotion and the advertising. They're, we are right on... Um, our location here is excellent. So we are on Homebush Bay, and I don't know if you know this area at all, but there are walking tracks and um, like very popular walking tracks and cycling tracks that come through the middle of our site. There's a very large cafe restaurant, which is five to 10 metres from our front door, but also the connection also has meeting and event spaces that are available for public hire. And they themselves are very architecturally um, beautiful buildings and the openness of them means that when people walk past, the design kind of makes them stop Mm. and sometimes even come in. And uh, on a hot day like today, they come in for toilets and air conditioning, but they'll leave an invitation to them. Give some extra. So build it and we'll yeah. But also, you know, there's actually um, a, between 50 and 60 people out there studying right now. We do have regular 
visitors and it's not a busy day. It's the middle of January. Yeah, Friday. And there would have been 50 or 60 people through here today. For our Hmm. international audience, uh, Homebush Bay is the site of the the Olympic venues. It's where the Sydney 2000 Olympics took place. So are you in close proximity to those sites? Yeah, we're probably about a 25-minute walk away yeah. from those sites and definitely they are on the other side of the bay. So when you yeah. stand on the side of the connection, you can actually see them across the bay. It's a beautiful area. Yeah, so. and it's 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 very, very popular for cyclists and so on. The mm-hmm. other thing about roads is that it's a high-rise, high-density community and that people are quite often walking and mm. not only they are walking recreationally through this area and through this site because it's one of the shortcuts through the area, but also they're walking like to get places too. So like some good so, planning. Yeah. So if I understand right, that obviously the location is amazing, but the main difference uh, why it's been successful is that the people that are part of the library. So people walk in and with the intention of, I suppose, uh, escaping the heat. And then they come out with an invitation to learn about 3D printing. So that comes down to the village you have. So could you tell us a bit about the people in the library, perhaps what roles they have, like are the mentors or teachers of some kind of technical skill or, or artists or, you know, tell us a bit about them. And then I'd like to uh, know what is a typical scenario of, say, uh, a visitor to the library coming in wanted to do a bit of 3D printing or something else, perhaps participating in a workshop. What does that look like from the point of view of the client? Yeah, sure. So, look, I can't speak um, highly enough of my staff here, to be honest with you. And I know a lot of people will say that, but, yeah, they're terrific. Hmm. And they do have a variety of backgrounds, but there are two main themes. Um Firstly, when I first started on this project, I found already working in City of Canada Bay Library, so there's a, there's actual proper libraries at Concord mm. and Five Dock with physical collections. Mm. Don't believe I just said proper, but you know what I mean. <laughs> what you would expect when you're traditional say library, items and traditional and, and very beautiful and um, and really up to date and lovely libraries that are very you know very fortunate to have walked into a service that you know has that kind of um, that as a starting point which is tremendous. Mm-hmm. And um, not only did I find, you know, like uh, my colleagues in the libraries to be, you know, kind of open and, and really, really um, curious and wanting to support what what we were going to embark on here, but um, I also found two um, library staff members, one of whom was a student in mechatronics engineering in his last year, mm-hmm. working as a casual library assistant, So basically just doing customer service and putting away the books. And another one who is an overseas trained engineer from Iraq. And Mm. so they actually turned up, uh, electrical engineer even, to make it more perfect. Mm. Mm -hmm. So they actually turned up as my first staff members because before I could hire anyone, I had a lot of work to do, but I also wanted to start piloting my projects programs right away, and they were the first two people to start working alongside me. Mm-hmm. So when they, when I discovered their skill sets, I was like, yes, these people are going to help me, and then it was a natural transition to bring these people onto the team here at the Learning Space. The rest of the team here are a really interesting bunch, and I would say to you that they're all actually contemporary art practitioners mm-hmm. with flourishing practices in kind of um, temporal, multidisciplinary 
screen-based art, you know, that kind of really amorphous stuff. They've Mm -hmm. exhibited at the MCA and places like that. They've got artistic practices in their own right. And they may not necessarily be – some of them are, but they may not necessarily be experts in coding, but they can turn their hand to it and they can communicate – they can find interesting things to do and communicate those and are willing to kind of experiment and learn alongside the community. Do they, so do they pass on those skills and passions to the visitors through very workshops? Very much so. Is That's that the idea? trick. Hmm. That's actually the trick of the whole thing. Hmm. And it's because they're artists, they're, they're communicators, yeah. they're inspired, they're interested in ideas. They don't see an obstacle, they see a challenge. And with my background in training, I really understand this impulse and, and really enjoy working with it. Um, and to some extent have it myself. So it makes a good match for us. Yeah, so, and also the creativity that we bring and the ability to make things accessible to people. What's a typical, what is a typical customer? I don't know if that's the right word to call them, but what's a typical customer that walks through the doors? What do you call them? Yeah, what do you call them? What do you actually call them internally within a library? I call them, well, interesting. There's many different, names that they're given, uh, depending on who you are and what your interaction with them would be. Uh, here we like to call them our visitors and workshop participants. Mm-hmm. So what's what's the, suppose, the average age, gender, objectives of the, if there is such an average? There isn't really, person. because there's such a diversity. Like, yeah. Well, Give us a range of people, a range of, of people that you see. Yeah. Well, as a library service, there's a real diversity to what we're doing, not just this um, STEAM and emerging technology stuff. So, for example, if you're here on Wednesday morning, you'll be uh, probably here for baby rhyme time where you'll find uh, approximately 60 to 70 babies with their carers. So that's over 120 participants each week in that program of um, singing and action-based mm-hmm. learning for children zero to one years old. So that's... That's probably our biggest program, to be completely mm. honest with you. If you were to come in on Monday night, you would uh, come across 3D Print Club at 6.30 p.m. And um, that is a really diverse audience. So you might find um, one of our participants is a pharmaceutical rep who didn't know anything about 3D printing, but lived locally, lived, you know, five minutes walk away mm-hmm. and decided that this was something she'd be interested in learning about and also a way to connect and be connected to this community. Um, Mm -hmm. She comes quite regularly and is actually quite skilled now after, you know, a good Mm. 12 months of attending, not weekly, but regularly. And she's actually quite a skilled CAD modeler now and takes the lead in showing new people how to, um, how to get started in Fusion 360, which is our, which is what we use here. And, um, is there an objective that she has? So it's just curiosity. For example, I'm thinking a lot of people want to learn 3D printing because they've got this product idea and they want to learn how to design it so they can manufacture it. Is there any such... Uh, no, you know, she doesn't people? have that, but other people do. That would be the next thing I would say to you. Yep. So we also get people with exposure to CAD or industrial processes, um, fabrication processes from other realms but who might be new to 3D printing coming in and wanting to transfer that skill set and going, look, I want to, you know, I've got this idea for a hook on my balcony to hold up my Christmas lights. It should look like this. Can you help me with that? And, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Any school school kids, perhaps? 
yeah. you've got a project to work on? Sometimes we do get school kids in the um, 3D printing, in the 3D print club. I guess for us, the main target audience of the 3D print club is adults. And we found that um, particularly children under about 13 or 14 had a different energy and brought a different energy to that print club, which didn't um, sit hmm. comfortably sometimes. So, Have you considered diplomacy? <laughs> That's yeah. so well said. We actually have... <laughs> Uh, look, honestly, Marcus, we actually have a lot of school holiday programs and that's where we see children and young people participating mm -hmm. and we do a lot of things specifically for them. Mm -hmm. This is the program which is specifically for adults. Now, if, if there is a young person <laughs> who can hold their own and be comfortable in that, we never tell a kid not to come in. Yeah. We just don't tailor it to them. Does that make yeah. sense? No, yeah. that makes sense. Um, if, they, if they're sitting alongside and they're doing well and there's actually a family group that comes, oh, yeah, they're so cool. They started showing up last year. So that's a family group with a father, a mother, an uncle, and three kids ages 8 to 14, and they come together. Wow. Well, that's cool. So I thought to switch slightly, I'm just curious about the kind of library that you are um, it's not, you're not the traditional library. Um, you know, I call it a library with a, with a twist. Uh, from what you know from your colleagues around Australia, perhaps internationally, is there a trend for libraries to become, you know, a lot more uh, freestyled, designed, uh, away from the traditional physical book to more like activity-driven, workshop-driven digital books? Is there a trend you see there? And to piggyback on that question, mm -hmm. who else is doing what you're doing? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the first part of the question is, yes, there is a trend. Over the last 10 to 15 years, libraries have increased the amount of programming they do and the diversity of their programming. There's no doubt. And there are libraries all over Sydney running, all over Australia really, running STEM-style activities, whether they run them like us, whether they have a um, – there's there's not many, I don't think, who would have a team running them internally like we are. But whether they contract it in or whether they partner with organisations who can provide that service for their community, that is something nationally and um, internationally. Um, if you have a look, look, the, the world leaders in this stuff are probably Chattanooga Public Library in the U.S., Mm -hmm. And they have a makerspace, but they also have a community kitchen and some really amazing innovation in the way that they engage their community in their library. What are they doing that makes them different to, I guess, other libraries? What makes them special? Chattanooga, for example. Could you tell us a bit about it? Um, it's the community programming. All right. And the way that they are looking beyond traditional programs to see how they can meet community need. And in a lot of places, this is driven by disadvantage. So one of the interesting things about what we're doing here in Rhodes, or interesting to me anyway, is that quite often innovation in community service delivery comes in disadvantaged areas. It's about mm -hmm. providing tax, um, access to technology and ideas to communities that don't necessarily, because of distance or yeah. finance, uh, you know, or knowledge or whatever, don't have access to those mm -hmm. things. Sorry, is that, is that a function of money? So government identifies that this area is not socio-economically well-off, will funnel some money into services, and therefore they're able to do better programs? 
I'm not really sure about the ins and outs of funding, um, Marcus, but what I will okay. say is that, for example, it's about identifying need. So if you have communities okay. where people don't have access to computers, then what you find is public libraries with lots of public PCs. Here mm. we have very few public PCs compared to bare desks because Rhodes is demographically a higher than average income and higher average than average level of education and it's a pretty much BYOD yep. service here and that's mm -hmm. what we concentrate on. We do provide public computers, but compared to the number of visitors that we get, we see relatively little use of them mm -hmm. here. So that, so that would be my that would be my answer to that question. It's all about what the need. How do you identify the need and and then, after that, how do you go about developing your programs? Yeah, I stand on the shoulders of some really amazing work here in, in identifying that need. Uh, council actually does a great job of surveying and asking people, mm -hmm. you know, of collecting data and yep. then raw statistics and then surveying and asking people, what do you think, what do you need? Mm -hmm. The next thing we do here, we're on the ground every day. And as I said to you, when someone walks through the door, we have a conversation with them. And through those conversations, we get a pretty good idea of what's so going on. To talk to your customers. Is Absolutely. The, uh, have a conversation. Have a conversation. Have a meaningful conversation. And people will give you the information you need. And it won't feel, you won't even have to ask them. Just it's a, you know, it's a conversation um, or, or it comes up naturally in a conversation. Really, you're interested in that. And where do you do that? And how do you do that? And, and they'll ask you. And if I wanted to do this, how could you help me with that? And if I get that question often enough, then I know that that's a need I need to kind of start looking at and pursuing. Okay. So there's the hard and fast stuff of looking at um, empirical data, which we do and mm -hmm. which we have access to through council. So that's like one of the lovely things of working in a, in a large organisation. But then it's mm -hmm. also that face-to-face -face investment in understanding your community and meeting them at their, at their need as they come through the door. What has been some data or insights that have surprised you? Uh, in the surveys? In the surveys or, or in talking to the customers to people, or visitors? Yeah. Hmm. I feel like nothing's going to very much is going to surprise me these days because I've been looking <laughs> okay. at it for so long. But I can tell you something that may have surprised other people, that, but that didn't surprise us at all here. Um, last week, the Sydney Morning Herald published an article that said that Rhodes is the most educated suburb according to the 2016 census. The most educated oh, wow. suburb in Australia has the highest number of people with bachelor's and postgraduate degrees in the country. But I know that. What's the I could have, you know, I didn't even think. It did not surprise me at all. In fact, I read the headline and I went, "I bet that's Rhodes." What's, <laughs> what's the immigration uh, ratio like? In the ratio, of, like, of people living in Rhodes uh, compared to people born in Australia. So I know it's a very diverse place. So every time I visit, it it's just that well. Um, if you give me a second, that article, I'll just Google up that article because that yeah, article sure, had the sure. exact statistic in it. And there's no point in just making a guess at it when it's um, available. But you're right. Um, the main language groups uh, we have here are um, the Chinese languages, mm -hmm. so Mandarin, <laughs> Cantonese and so on. Um, Korean, Hindi and Arabic are the main community languages here in Rhodes, but by far the Chinese languages are the main ones. SMH Rhodes, let's Google that up and see. Yep, census 2016, Sydney's best educated suburb. So if you put um, SMH Roads and census into Google, you'll we'll bring you up this you article. See that data. Okay, mm -hmm. brilliant. Well, we will check it out. Yeah, so I think it's 
it's roughly 80% of the population of Rhodes is overseas born. Wow. It's very high. So diverse. It is really, really, um, really good. And they actually no, did no, quite fine. a little bit of uh, information about Rhodes in that article. Yeah. So you mentioned previously that you were doing some AR and VR work mm. at the library. What have you been doing that in? Um, there's two things that we do. The first one is just actually just demonstration. And so last year we had a really lovely um, – we have a digital gallery in our foyer which is a video wall with a great sound system and some drop-down projector screens on the other side. And we put all sorts of stuff in there. It's currently showing Australian contemporary art that we've, um, that we've got from ArtBank. We also yep. commission work for that space from leading Australian artists. And last year, Andrew Burrell did a very lovely piece of uh, – Sydney-based artist did a very lovely piece of work for us called Parkland. And it was an AR work where um, there were all these um, – he set up like a lovely kind of animated backdrop and a table at the front and there were all these cards with these kind of, I guess you could call them, you know, blocky, you know, like how Minecraft is all blocked. Yep. kind of like, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, yeah, very lovely kind of characters that had, and as you held them up to the, uh, as you held their QR codes up to the camera, they appeared on the screen and danced and interacted with each other and played music and so on. So that was an art installation in our digital gallery, which kind of played with that idea and introduced a lot of people to that concept. And mm -hmm. and we do have a Sony PlayStation VR, which we get out mm -hmm. and let people have a go of and so on. But then in terms you of creating develop content, for that? Can not one for the develop? PlayStation. Yeah. We haven't, we haven't gone down that road. What we are looking at is um, later in the year, we will have some AR video content um, workshops coming on board mm -hmm. and we're using Erasmus for those. Rosma. Okay. I'll have to check that out. Mm. Yeah. It's a quite a well-known platform. It's free to create stuff. It's the publishing where you start paying. So we you. figure that's a, yeah, but that's a good compromise for learning and yeah, for experimenting and playing. So, you know, if you do create something worthwhile, then you'll, um, you'll I, make that investment. So, um, I was wondering what is your take or let's, let's call it a prediction, uh, of how education will be affected by augmented reality or virtual reality. And I'm thinking of um, using those technologies to show kids or learners in general, for example, how chemistry works, where you can actually are uh, part of a chemical reaction, or uh, you're looking at a geographic location, let's say in Canada Bay, and then you can experience how that location changes over the decades or even centuries. Uh, things of that sort, I'm thinking, what's your take on this if you have, um, because I do think that you have some experience in the library using those technologies. You mentioned um, Sony PlayStation VR and a couple of others earlier. Yeah, um, look, I think um, I think all of those things are great as long as we remember, you know, and, and there's things you can do in AR and VR and ways of exploring the world which add to someone's experience and learning. And, and that's always that's always a plus. Um, I wouldn't like to see that at the uh, expense of the real world, the, mm -hmm. the the physical world. I think we need to kind of maintain that um, maintain that relationship. That's why I'm actually more interested in AR than VR. To be yeah. completely honest with you, I, uh, for me that feels like a um, a much more um, interesting technology and a much more interesting space to work in. And I guess mm -hmm. the other thing I'd say is 
it's all very well and good to give our young people and our learners um, experiences, but I would like to be able to, you know, as we as we move into those areas, to always um, keep the focus on allowing them to access the technologies in ways which allow them to be creators as well, not just consumers, and to make sure that whatever we're putting in front of them is not just something for them to consume and interact with because that is, you know, a real danger, but that also the creative potentials of that technology and ways of understanding the world through this technologies are available to them to make their own content and their own expression and and not and not make a high barrier to entry in terms of mm. skill or expertise i mean I, I hear a lot of you know parents say to me um my kid's really good at computers he's always on the computer and i'm like well <laughs> Great, kid actually might just be good at watching youtube actually <laughs> that doesn't mean they're, they're good exactly, at computers yeah. and it certainly doesn't mean they can code in fact what might be happening is you might be creating a super consumer yeah. rather than a super creator and and for me that's that's at the heart of everything we do how do we how do we explain these technologies in ways that break away that kind of veneer of consumerism and give people an insight into how it's being used and how if they needed to or wanted to they could use it and then behind that access to the skill sets that allow them to do that so always be mindful of the balance between consuming information, which is okay, I suppose, if you want to get facts, like we just Googled, uh, and we found that the 80.1% of the residents in Rhodes are born overseas, so just consumed some information, but then that can be balanced by creating something new, right? Mm -hmm. So all these technologies have to serve this. Yeah, and and differentiation of experience, I think, will be the other interesting thing mm-hmm. i mean well, you know you've just pulled out a fact that you've just pulled out a statistic there that says 80.1 percent of people in roads are born overseas but mm-hmm. there's an incredible diversity to those people that's mm-hmm. that's not a homogenous block of 80 yeah. percent versus another 20 percent absolutely yeah there's a great diversity within that of um, experiences and um, and backgrounds and approaches and to life and um, being mindful of that diversity is something I've really learned in this job in particular I think yeah mm-hmm. great Marcus so as we're coming to the end of this uh, wonderful hour we have a few rapid fire questions for you uh, these are just questions that uh, we'll ask quickly and you can answer as quickly or as a uh, you don't go down a rabbit hole as far as you want to go. And you can say pass if you don't want to answer. You can say mm-hmm. Yes, that's a new rule. We've taken yeah. off the political ones. It's fine. <laughs> so I guess our first question here is who has been most influential in shaping the way that you teach? Could be a real person or a fictional. Uh, Peter Marnie, who is the education manager at the Powerhouse Museum or the Museum of Applied Arts and Sciences. We've had Peter on two episodes ago, three episodes ago. Yeah. Peter's, yeah. I worked with Peter and um, I learned so much working with him. Peter's great. Oh, awesome. So what advice would you give to educators just starting out, So, Mm. specifically STEM educators? Yeah. Um, Find something that interests you and mm-hmm. find out how to do it quickly and easily and then put that quickly into the hands of the people you're educating to make themselves and go from that point. Don't start from where you think the beginning is. Start from the best bit. 
and communicate that. So what, the, what, what do you mean by best bit? The most exciting bit. Oh, right. It's because you want to capture them, right? Is that That's right, yeah. yeah. Right. Don't start to teach coding from this is a function and this is a variable. Just whack down a piece of code and go, hey, plug something in, make that work, cool. Blinking LED. Yeah. yeah. Don't make them write the whole thing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, yeah don't should... make them learn all the terminology first. Start Just from the get end. get them working on it. Once you've got them hooked, the rest will come. So start with the end in mind. Is that a Pitamani thing? Because uh, I noticed that a lot of the stuff that he creates, it's really throwing them into the deep end where they just, I guess, plug bits into holes. Um, yeah, it, no, well, yes, it could be. It could be. Could we have similar approaches, I would imagine, yeah. Okay. Awesome. Sorry. I'm forgetting that we're in rapid fire. Yes. So what professional development have you found most useful in the last year? That could be seminars, workshops, uh, conferences that you've been to that you want to go back. Screencasts, yeah. online. Uh, oh, I'm going to give you a book. Oh, go Hang for on it. a second. Go yeah, I know. But it was actually the most useful, and hmm. it's not because I work in a public library service. I'm actually really surprised that I'm giving this answer. No, no, well, I bought a physical copy because <laughs> I, I made the library put it in the collection. Um, the new book from Mitch Resnick, who is the head of the MIT Lifelong Kindergarten who developed Scratch. Mm -hmm. Lifelong Kindergarten, Cultivating Creativity Through Projects, Passion, peers and play you know to me that's just like oh all the perfect things you are the second long. person to mention this book yeah so must be, <laughs> i have to admit i have not read it yet but uh i've got to go yeah to now, but um if you don't if you're not going to read the book because some people aren't then you should um see mitch resnick's ted talk which i think is called teaching kids that's to right. code great also. yep thank you yep. i think i have seen that one so my next question is Oh, I love this one. What is your programming language of choice? Uh, I knew you'd ask that. These days it's Python. Oh, look, I'm not really great with programming, but we've been using the BBC micro bits in our coding and programming <laughs> workshops here this summer, and Fantastic that's been idea. phenomenal for us. And the Python stuff, kids are really getting into Python. And they, if you do it right, they love that it's a real language. Yeah, it mm -hmm. is a real language. And it it's also works on our Now robot. Mm -hmm. We have one of those Now humanoid robots, and you can yep. use Python on those. So for us here at the moment, and for me personally, there's a little bit of a romance with uh, Python. Yeah. Yeah, I understand that. I've got to give a shout-out to the Microbit guys because they do such a good job. When you do the coding, it actually goes both ways. Whereas uh, with... Can we mean between, between Scratch or the block language? Yeah, and the block language and the real language. language right? Whereas yeah, you don't get yeah. this with, uh, I guess, other with offerings. With inputs, uh, yeah, you don't. It's typically one way around. Yeah, so I thought it was very clever. Um, thank you very much, Joy. So um, if people want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? Are you on social media? Um, you know what? I'm just going to give you an email address because email. that's... You know, let's keep it. Let's keep it old school. Um, All right, you don't do real time <laughs> communication, then you. Asynchronous. <laughs> synchronous. It's a synchronous. Um, look, I'll be honest with you. In the role that I'm in now, that's the, you know, if you'd have asked me this question two years ago when I was running my own business, I would have given you a whole raft of social media. But at the moment, I'm in a structure where email's my main form of communication. Okay, so it's just all about where you're at and what you need to use at that moment in time. Yeah. <laughs> no problem. No, it's very practical. Uh, so is, is yeah. it okay? So if that's we, the thing uh, I'm looking at all day. That's the thing I'm yeah. most likely to get back to you on. No problem. Yeah. Is it okay if we 
list that in our uh, yeah, show notes right. for this episode? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's that's awesome. okay if you list that in the notes. That's great. Um, well, thank you very much, Joy. Thank it was you so uh, much. a real pleasure. Right. Thank you for your time. Uh, I'd like to come and visit you definitely. Like you guys are around Absolutely. the corner. Oh, not literally, but relatively close for Sydney. Relatively close. <laughs> you know, you'd be surprised. It's a it's a location that's relatively close to a lot of places. Yes. It's really central. It is. It <laughs> so, is. Yeah. Yeah, it's been lovely to chat with you guys. Thank you for the opportunity to, um, you know, to reflect on what we do here in the practice and the good questions that help me do that. So thank you. Awesome to be a pioneer. (laughs) That's all for this episode. If you have any questions or suggestions, please send them to our email address, questions at stemiverse.com, and we'd be happy to answer them. Do you want us to interview someone in particular? Let us know. Visit us at stemiverse.com to get the show notes of every episode. And subscribe on iTunes by searching for the name of our podcast, Stemiverse. That is S-T-E-M-I-V-E-R-S-E. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.